Good evening. <laughs> Did someone say good morning? I heard that. Thank you. Oh, of course. Of course it would be a counselor. Where are you from? Prairie City. All right. Welcome. All right. Uh, just excited to be here uh, for junior high 2023. Hard to believe that it's already the year 2023. I feel old just saying that, and uh, I feel old being here speaking at junior high. Uh, not that I'm old. A lot of people tell me that I am, but uh, I try to live young. Anyways, a little introduction. My name is Cody Huber. I actually grew up in Mason City, Iowa, which isn't too far from here, and I went to school a mile down the road from here. I was here at the camp quite a bit, loved being here, spent a ton of time here. God used this camp in my life in an extraordinary way. I was able to learn about him. I was able to see what uh, godly families looked like. I was able to have godly friends here at camp, and God used that to grow me and to sanctify me in Christ. And uh, so that's, that's my name. That's where I'm from right now. I am a pastor uh, in Clarion, Iowa, would be the closest city. Our, the, the place where our church actually is is called Holmes, Iowa, it's an unincorporated city, and as you drive through it, we have a co-op, some houses, and then two churches side by side, a Lutheran church and then our church, which is really funny uh, that you just have two random churches in the middle of a cornfield, but that's, that's where I reside, that's where I pastor, and then going to introduce you to my family here. Here's my son. You'll see him running around this week. His name is Clay. Clay is four years old, and he is, as my daughter Paisley would call him, a goofer. Isn't that a fun word? A goofer? Yeah. So uh, uh, he just, they're pretty photogenic, I think. They're, they're cute kids. Here's Paisley. She is six. You'll see her running around here. Am I doing this right? Or There we go. There's Paisley. She's, she's a cutie, so yeah, that's right. Um, God has blessed us with two great kids. Uh, so if you see them running around this, uh, this week, make sure to say hi. Clay was looking at you all this, this uh, afternoon saying, Dad, look at all my friends. <laughs> so he doesn't even know you guys yet, but you guys are already his friends. That's just how Clay operates, uh, and he's having a blast, so is Paisley. Here's my wife, Taylor. We've been married now, hard to believe, going on 12 years this Sunday. So we were married 12 years ago, July 16th, and actually, there's a guy that came up to me uh, that, that was at our wedding that I, I just met for the first time. Matt, what is his name? He's staying with you, Greg. Green? Green. He did the sound at our wedding. I didn't even know that. So I just found that out today. So uh, here's some more pictures just to get a little more acquainted. We, we just love to have fun. My favorite one is the top left up there. If you can see that one. Uh, I walked into the bathroom at church one day wondering what Clay was taking so long with in the bathroom. And there he was underneath the hand dryer. I was like, oh, that makes sense. I would probably do something like that. So uh, tonight, what we're going to be digging into is into Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, and because this is chapel, you should have your Bibles with you tonight, and you should have your notes with you as well. Uh, as, as Taylor and I speak, uh, we're going to be preaching, not my wife, there's Taylor Jarman that you guys know of, but as we preach, as we speak, as we teach you guys God's Word, as, as you go to springboard and different things like that, you should be taking notes. 
Uh, it's just important for you to be able to do. It helps you follow along. We're going to give you some prompts. But write down things that stick out to you so that way you can go back to it and think about it some more later. Um, but tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to be looking at the fact that we have been set free from the power of sin and death, from the penalty of sin and death. And, and uh, so we, we are going to be looking at that out of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read that right now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we praise you for setting us free. God, we praise you for allowing us to be able to know you, to know your power, and to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that as we study through Romans chapter 8 and through 1 John this week, God, that our hearts would be encouraged that our minds would gain understanding, and God, that as we grow in our faith and in our knowledge in you, that we would grow in our love for you. God, that you would give us hearts that would love you more than anything else in this world. God, I pray that you would help to break hardened hearts, that your spirit would work, that your word, that your word would not come back void. God, I pray that if there is anyone here this week that does not know you, that as they grow in their understanding of what you provide for all of us in your Son, that they would, that they would place their faith and trust in you, that the, that the spiritual blinders that are on their eyes would be, would be taken away and that they would be able to see you for who you are, our God, our Creator, and our Savior. God, I pray all this. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Our big idea for tonight is you can be free from the penalty and power of sin. You, every single one of us that is here, can be free from the penalty and the power of sin. As I was looking at what the theme verses were of 2 Corinthians 5.20 and then even coupled there with 5.21 of what would be a good passage to go through. I thought about going through 2 Corinthians 5 and just kind of piecing through it one by one to, to getting to the end. And, and that would have worked. It would have been a good, a good thing to go through. But then as I was listening to my Spotify one day, uh, I listened to, to this thing called Streetlights sometimes and, and it's this scripture reading. Romans 8 popped up. And I was listening to it, and I thought, man, that would just be great to teach through. As we, as we come together at camp, just to stick into one chapter the whole week and to learn it, so that way we can understand what it looks like to live in the Spirit, what it looks like to be an ambassador for Christ, to, of what it looks like to ride for the brand. 
So I thought, Romans 8, that's got to be it. So let's go through it. And it has been a challenging text to go through, a fun text to go through, an encouraging text to be able to study through. And I'm excited to share it with you this week. I'm excited to be able to dig through the deep truths that are present here within Romans chapter 8. And what Paul is setting up here is that because of our justification, our righteous standing in Christ, we are going to be sanctified through him as well. So those are going to be the two things. Tonight we're going to learn about our justification and how that justification leads to our sanctification. And those are two big words. Justification meaning a righteous standing. Sanctification meaning being made set apart or made God's own. And in Romans 8, that is just unfolded in an amazing way. So we're going to be looking at that tonight, starting off with the justification of what Christ has done for us and what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And as we look at this text, the first verse talks about how there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we sit there and we say, well, what is that condemnation for? What does that mean, right? Any of you, as you read through the Bible, you see words like that, you see phrases like that, one of the first things that we should start to do is to ask questions. Questions are good things to be able to ask, but don't just leave it at a question. Study it out. Look for the answer. Dig for the gold. <laughs> so what, why, why would we be condemned? What is, what is Paul talking about here that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, the fact is here is that all of us deserve a punishment. Condemnation is, is like a decree issuing a punishment or a penalty for something. So you think about sitting in, sitting in front of a judge and he calls out your verdict of guilty or not guilty and let's say you're guilty and he says, here's your punishment. All of us stand condemned before we come to Christ guilty of our sin, guilty with a punishment of death. Not only a physical death, but an eternal death. One that separates us from Christ and from God for eternity. Every single one of us stand condemned before God without the work of Christ. In fact, as Jesus teaches on this, he says that, that, that he did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save sinners, to save us from our sin. Not only that, but, but he says that he's not judging because we already stand in condemnation. We already stand condemned. We already stand guilty with the penalty of sin and death upon us. So maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I don't know, that seems kind of unfair. Why am I going to be punished for my sin? I think I've done enough good things, right? Looked at my life and eh, I think it'll weigh out. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, man, I know I'm guilty. <laughs> I know I'm worthy. Not of, not of righteousness, but of punishment. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you think, huh, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen in the end anyways. I'm telling you, it is a big deal to understand. It's a big deal to understand that in Christ there is no condemnation and what that fully means. 
because there is a punishment for those who don't place their faith in Christ. There is a punishment that is coming for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And that punishment is a separation from God. It's an eternity in hell. In fact, Jesus talks very much in his earthly ministry about hell. In Mark 9, 48, Jesus said, It is a place where the worm does not die and the fire does not rest. It will be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be a place of restlessness. The punishment, this punishment will be for eternity. It will never end. It is a real place for those who rebel against God, which all of us, apart from Christ, are rebels against God. Paul makes that very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, that even those who were in Christ, that at one time they were children of wrath, meaning children destined for the wrath of God. Now Romans chapter 8 is a portion of Scripture that describes our freedom from the penalty and power of sin. It's, it's not actually describing hell, but, but that condemnation, what we would be condemned to if we were not in Christ, is a destiny, an eternity, in hell forever. And that's a big deal, young person. That, that's a big deal to understand and to make sure that you have everything right in your mind and right in your heart. Knowing that you can't do any work of yourself, you need someone to pull you out of your sin. You need someone to go before you to make everything right. And that's what Paul is saying here, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a way out of our eternal judgment that is actually due us. God has made a way for us to know him. We are all sinners. We are all guilty. We all sin. Sin is anything that goes against God Word, action, or deed. Also, disposition. What we are born into, every single one of us was born sinners. Why? Because of our father, Adam. Adam sinned, and because of his sin, all, all are sinners. That's what Paul actually teaches us in Romans chapter 5. So the question is, how can I know that I'm free from the penalty of sin. How, how can I know that I am free from the power of sin? How, how does this all work out? I'm glad that you asked. Paul actually builds on this a little bit more as we go through these verses. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to learn more and more about how not only we're free from the penalty of sin, but we are free from the power of sin, and how now we are free to live in the power of God. That being in Christ is a big deal for us. Not only at the moment of salvation, but as we walk as children of God. I'm excited to hear Taylor Jarman preach in the morning services and how, how he is going to be preaching on the fact that you can know for certain that you are a child of God out of 1 John. Because some of us, we struggle with that. We don't know if we are a child of God. There's times where doubts creep into our minds. I've seen the, the devotionals that, that Taylor's prepared for us this week. I'm excited to read through those with you. I'm excited to, to be able to listen to him and to learn more and to grow in my knowledge and love for God. But the question tonight that we're looking at is, how can I know that I can be free from the penalty of sin? How does that work in my life? 
The first thing that we're going to look at, the first truth, is that Christ satisfies the penalty for our sin. Christ satisfies the penalty for our sin. We see this in this next verse, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's talking about our sanctification. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. And a better rendering of this is that that He came as a sin offering for us in in verse 3. And that's going to be a big deal. We're going to, to see how that works out here in a little bit. But there is no condemnation in, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what is Paul talking about here? What does it mean to be in Christ? How does that work out? Is there like this imaginary suit that I need to put on, right? Like you start to put on. Have you ever seen a union suit? Anyone know what a union suit is? Yeah? Okay. They're, they're, they're big in rural areas and stuff like that. Or even like, the, the, like you guys would call them jumpers now. But a lot of the guys that I'm around now, they, they wear these like, weird-looking one-piece suits where you've got the legs and the arms and everything, and then they can button them up so that way they don't get their clothes underneath dirty. Greg knows what I'm talking about. He's from a rural area. Is that what we're putting on? Like, is that what it means to be in Christ? Is there like a secret room that we're going into and we're opening the door and then we're, oh, look at me, now I'm in Christ, right? Is that, is that what that means? Like, all throughout the whole New Testament, we see... Paul and other people say this, this phrase of what it means to be in Christ. Does that mean that I'm like wearing a bubble? Like, remember those bubbles that we used to have here at camp? Anyone remember those? Do we still have those? Yeah, someone will tell me. You, you would run around in them. You could hit each other and roll around. It was, those were great. Is that what we put on? Is that what it means to be in Christ? No, it's not like that. It's actually what we're placing our faith in. Faith would be another word as in trusting. What we are placing our trust in. What are you placing your trust in for your eternity, young person? When you look at at everything as it comes to be, what are you placing your trust in? What are you placing your faith in? See, Paul is bringing up a theme from earlier on in the book when he teaches on being justified by faith. We see this in Romans chapter 3. We also see this in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, he writes, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. What is a gift? It's something free that someone gives to you. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The word propitiation becomes a big deal here. The fact that God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means appeasement or satisfaction. Christ satisfies the penalty that we are due. What was the penalty that we were due? That was weak. What is the penalty that we were due? Okay, so God puts forward Christ, his only son, as a propitiation, which means satisfaction, right? It is satisfying the penalty that we are due, which was death. death. 
And it's received, that gift is received by what? Faith. Young person, what you believe about Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection is one of the most important things that you will ever consider. I'm being honest with you tonight that it is. Because what you believe about Jesus changes everything. Not just here temporally and how you live your life, but for eternity and where you will spend it. Christ satisfies the penalty for our sin because God, our creator, has made it so. Christ satisfies the penalty that we are due by the propitiation, the satisfaction of his blood. It's one of the things that's always kind of, as a kid, we always talked about blood so much. And then we talked, to, we sang about it and all these different things. And I didn't, never really figured it out much until I put serious study into it. I always thought like, man, that's weird. You read through Leviticus and there's just like blood everywhere. They're slaughtering lambs, they're taking the blood, they're sprinkling it all over everything, and they're covering the, the tabernacle with it to make covering, and I've always thought like, Ugh. <laughs> that's weird, right? Have you ever thought about that? Any of you guys? Now you're thinking about it. So why, why, did, it take, why did it take Christ's blood? Well, if we go back to the text here in Romans chapter 8, and, and we look at verse 3, and we see this, that he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and made him a sin offering for us. It becomes a very big deal. See, what's outlined in Leviticus, especially chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it talks about what a sin offering is. And as you continue to read through Leviticus, you start to see how much of that sin offering was important for people to have a right standing before God. Not that it was the sacrifice itself that made them right, but it was the faith in what God had told them. See, somewhere along the way, they got it all wrong with how they saw that and how that worked out. Right now at, at Holmes Baptist, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and it's been exciting to be able to study through and start to preach through, and how how that sacrifice becomes a big deal, how that blood becomes a big deal. Because as you read through Leviticus, the way that God had set it forth was that they needed to see that lamb because it was a foreshadowing of the lamb who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was a foreshadowing of the fact that we needed someone to go before us. It was this, this lesson that as they saw this dying lamb and as they took the blood and they covered things with it, that their sin had a penalty. And then their prophets talked about how there was going to be a Messiah that was to come. They were looking for someone to set them free from their earthly rulers and not their ruler, Satan. See, Christ comes and he becomes our sin offering for us. He steps into our place and he satisfies the penalty that is due us. Christ died. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 make this very clear. That Christ died, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day for our sins. To cover them. 
to satisfy the penalty that is due us. And through Christ, we are able to be victorious over sin and death because of his sin offering. We have a debt that we can never pay back. But Christ became a man himself in our place, lived a perfect life, and then paid the penalty that we never could because we cannot obey the law. We cannot obey God because we are already sinners when we are born into this world, already destined for hell. There's no way that that the law could actually work in a way to save us. I don't think that that's actually the law that's being talked about here within this passage. In fact, what what this law of sin and death is within us, and we're going to learn about this later on uh, as we go throughout the week, is the the impulses that we would have within our life. And now we have the impulses to do righteousness, but that's for another night. Second thing that we learn here in this text is that Christ switches places with us. Christ switches places with us. He becomes our substitute. As we were talking about that in Leviticus, as part of the sin offering was, was they would take this lamb, they would slaughter it, and before they would slaughter the lamb, and the lamb would have been put to death, they would have to place their hand on the head of the lamb. And Aaron and his sons, before they would go and make sin offerings, they would have to place their, their hand on the, on the head of a goat or on the head of a bull, and it was to show the transfer of their sin to that animal. It was also to show that they needed a substitute. We all need a substitute. And it's Christ Jesus. He comes as the perfect lamb to be slaughtered in our place, to take our place, to switch places with us, and to become our perfect substitute. All of this was to show the cost of sin, which is death. And as they went, and on the Day of Atonement, and different times like that, there was so much dying of animals and so much blood to be dealt with because the life is in the blood, as it teaches us in Leviticus. But it was to show the penalty for their sin. It was this visual, visual representation of it. We do something similar within our churches. Now you're all like, oh, what's that? Some of us do it monthly, some of us do it weekly, some of us more spaced out, but we take what's called communion, the bread and the cup, the bread showing the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, the cup showing the blood that was spilt for us. And each time we do that, we're worshiping God because Christ has switched places with us. And we're able to proclaim Christ's death until he comes again because he has switched Places with us. There's no condemnation for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus, who trust Christ as their Savior, who trust Christ as, as paying, making payment, satisfying the penalty for their sin and switching places with them. God shows us his love and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that, young person? Do you understand Christ to be the payment for the penalty of your sin? Do you understand that Christ has pulled you from sin 
and death into life and into his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Christ became sin for us so that way we might become the righteousness of God. So over here is sin and over there would be righteousness. And let's say someone is standing over there and I'm here in sin. This would be Christ. He actually switches places with us so that way when we have placed our faith and trust in him, God sees us not as the sinner that we are, but standing in the righteousness of Christ. It becomes applied to you. Christ became the penalty for us. He switched placed places with us. And this leads to our sanctification. Because when we've placed our faith in, in Christ for the payment for our sins, not only has he switched places with us, but Christ severs the power of sin out of our life. We are no longer bound to the death that is sin. We are to free to live in God's power. We are free to live a life that is truly pleasing to God. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His, His, His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin... He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're going to learn more about this tomorrow night and the nights to come. That's where we're going to jump from out of this, out of this night is the fact that, that through and in Christ we are able to live for Him. We are made a new creation in Him. The skills of unbelief have fallen off of our eyes. We now have the Spirit in and working through us to be able to actually learn God's Word, to digest it, and to live it out in our lives. Because we are no longer under the power of sin. We no longer have to live according to the vices of sin. We're able to live free from it. Think of it this way. I have a good friend. His name is Josh Smith. He came and visited us at church. Some of you who were here for Water and Work Week heard about this. He came to our church and uh, he was visiting um, and he sat towards the back, and there's this lady that sat behind him, and the whole time she just kept looking at Josh's ear. And, uh, and afterwards, Josh got up, was shaking people's hands, and this lady came up to him. This is how you're greeted at Holmes Baptist. It's really awesome. And she said, you've got something really weird on your ear. Isn't that a great way to be greeted when you're at a new church, Right? He's like, okay, well, that's different. <laughs> she said, I would go get that checked out. Like, that's pretty serious. The way that that looks, it looks like it could probably be a form of skin cancer. And Josh was like, okay, I'll, I'll take it into consideration. I don't know, Josh is kind of awkward like me at times. So he, he walked away from that, just like not really phased. But then afterwards, she called me and she said, Pastor, you've got to talk to your friend You've got to encourage him to go to the doctor. It's like, okay, I'll encourage him. So I called him up and I said, hey, Josh, this lady, she's telling me you really need to go to the doctor. I think you should listen to her. She's, she's a nurse. And Josh was like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make an appointment. So he made an appointment. He went in. They looked at his ear and immediately, you know what they said? <laughs> we need to take care of this. 
He was, he was pushed ahead in the line. They were able to look at it, and it was one of the fastest, most aggressive forms of skin cancer that you could have. They were afraid that it would have been spreading to the rest of his body, so because of that, they actually cut into his lymph nodes as well to make sure that he didn't have cancer that was spreading to the rest of the body. And then when they found that out, you know what they did? They chopped off the top part of his ear. Can you believe that? Why would they do that? Because the power of that cancer as it spreads throughout his body would have a devastating effect. Christ severs us from the power of sin. It no longer has a hold on us. We no longer have to worry about the penalty of sin and death. He's cut us free from it. We're standing in his righteousness because he has satisfied the penalty that is due us. He switched places with us and now we are free to live in Christ. We are free to live in the righteousness of God. And then as we get to 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we are reconciled to God, we're able to be dispensers of truth and dispensers of the gospel to others. To where we take the form of that lady and we're able to go out to others and we're to say, Hey, listen up. You've got a serious problem in your life. It's called sin. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to kill you for eternity. Christ severs the power of sin so that way we may walk in him and share his message. This week there are probably three types of people here at camp. As we're sitting here tonight, one, first one, is that that you have placed your faith in Christ, you trust him, you know him to be your savior. You trust him fully and you are walking in him, you know him. How can this week of camp work out for you? What, what does the messages look like? Well, as we, as we go through the rest of Romans chapter 8, it's going to look like how we can live in the righteousness of God, how we can live in the spirit of God, becoming ambassadors for him, with the totality of our lives. Second group of people here are those who intellectually believe Christ. They, they, they believe Christ is the Savior, but you don't trust him. You're, you're just, you're almost there. You, you believe that God created us. You believe that God loves us. You believe that God sent his son, but you're not trusting in him. You haven't placed your faith in him. You know it all to be true, but you're kind of, you're on the fence. You're waiting. I had a friend like that. We would go through this study called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, and each night I'd ask him what he's thinking, where he's at, and, and, and I asked him one of my favorite questions, a question I'm about to ask you, and, and that's, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And he gave the most incredible answer, and I was like, oh, you believe. You know Christ as your Savior. That's awesome. And I said, do you trust that? And he looked at me very plainly. He goes, no. I believe it, but I'm not trusting in it. 
I believe that he did all of this, but I'm just not, I'm not there yet. Maybe you're there tonight. How will this, how, how will this week of camp work for you? Well, I'm praying that you're able to come to the understanding and to fully grasp the reality of what you're waiting to place your trust and faith in. It's a big deal. Luckily, Will ended up placing his faith and trust in Christ. He came to a saving faith and knowledge of who Jesus is. We were able to just baptize him a few weeks ago at church, and that was a great time. The third group of people here is those who don't know Christ. They're destined for hell. They have a bent attitude toward God. Or maybe you're here tonight, you don't even care about God at all. Maybe you're here tonight and you're sitting here angry with God for the circumstances that have unfolded in your life. Maybe you're completely apathetic towards the things of God and you just want to live the life the way that you want to. A friend last week that I was talking to, and I asked him what he believed, and he looked at me blankly in the face and he said, I believe God. And I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. I said, well, would you like to know what to believe? He said, no, not really. (laughs) Religion just isn't for me. Maybe you're sitting here and you're in that place. Maybe you just think religion, this relationship with Christ that everyone tells me about, it's just not for me. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying that you will be fully convinced of who Jesus is. Fully convinced that God sent his son for you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know which camp I fall into. At this time, I'd like you guys to take some time and to answer this question. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You've got a spot in your books. Take the time. Write it out right now. Write that out. Then we're going to pray. We'll sing a last song. But I want you to take time, silence, to write that out. Where are you at with God? As you go throughout the week, maybe you don't know how to answer this question. Maybe you're frozen as you stare at it. You think, man, I don't know how to answer this. I would encourage you to talk to your counselor. I would encourage you as you go throughout the week to share what your answer is with others as well. I'd encourage you to be able to make for certain that you know that you are trusting in the work of Christ as your sacrificial lamb is taking your place on the cross for you, becoming your substitute. So that way you can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Let's pray. God, I pray for these young people that as they study your word, as we learn your word, that they would be transformed, that their, that their minds and their thinking would, would, would be able to grasp the reality of who you are and what you've done for them. God, that they would be fully convinced that you are 
the Savior, that, that you did die for them, that you were buried and that you did rise from the grave. God, that we can share in that power and God, as we learn what that looks like in our own lives, that we would grow in our love for you. God, I pray that, that if there's a young person here tonight that does not know you, that if, that if they, they, they are not certain of it, that they would take the time to talk through it with someone this week. In your blessed name, amen.